Episode five of the Recruiting Blitz podcast, powered by the UC Report, is underway. And how important is the state of Georgia in the world of recruiting? Well, we're going to tell you just how important we think it is. And on that topic, on threes, Chad Simmons is going to join us to discuss recruiting in the Peach State. Welcome to the Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report. Uh, and this edition is the unofficial Peach State edition of the Recruiting Blitz podcast. Uh, why I say that is because uh, as we tape this on Wednesday, I am getting ready to head to the state of Georgia outside of Atlanta uh, for the Geico ESPN High School Football Showcase, which will have Collins Hill uh, defending 7A state champs. Uh, in the state of Georgia, taking on Buford, uh, the Buford Wolves, who are the defending 6A state champs, but moving up in classification. So uh, an exciting battle between two powers in the state of Georgia, which got me thinking, Wade, who I'm joined here by uh, my partner in crime, Wade Jirasi and <clears throat> Danny Priest behind the controls. But what got me thinking is like, this is a perfect time to talk about one of the most important recruiting grounds in the nation. Uh, as if you follow recruiting, you know that the state of Georgia is really vital. I think when the ESPN 300 first started, uh, just as a reference point for when we kind of got into this side of it, it was pretty much known Wade as a big three. You had yep. California, of course. You had Texas, you had Florida. Throughout the years, you can no longer just say the big three and not include Georgia as the fourth. It has to be the big four. Uh, and then you could also turn around and pose the argument that it is the big three replacing Georgia yeah. with California. But, uh, you know, the reason why I want to talk about Georgia and its importance in the recruiting landscape is because I've said this on air before uh, and I stand by it. And as time goes by, it only strengthens my thought that uh, if you if you really force me, force me in a corner, obviously this is a hypothetical, but said you can only recruit one state in the country. That was it. Only one state. It would be Georgia for me. And I think, I think Wade, as we talked and looked at it, the, the numbers kind of uh, bear that out. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many different things to consider in this, not just the total number of prospects, but the high quality of those prospects, how many Power 5 programs are in that state or recruit that state. And so, you know what, just from a four-star uh, prospect standpoint in the last four classes, Florida and Texas are still ahead of Georgia. But Georgia, I mean, has passed California, and this has probably been true for longer than that. Uh, in terms of top 50-ish type talents, that's where Georgia starts to creep up on Florida. Texas still has the edge there, but you know Georgia is creeping up on that area. One thing I know you've always talked about, though, is the, the distribution of talent across the different positions in the Peach State. And so when you look, whether and it's... And to that, that's why I, when I say I would, if I could only recruit one state, it would be Georgia, because as you just mentioned, all four of those states have a, a, a lot of talent. Of course. But what to me makes Georgia stand out is the fact that there really is no kind of quote unquote weakness there. You go to California, you got Malachi Nelson, Jaden Rashadas, Julian Sane in twenty twenty four class. Right. You're gonna find quarterbacks, you're gonna find skill guys. The big the Pac twelve biggest problem and the state's California's biggest problem as the main feeder state for that conference is it's really difficult to find linemen, especially D linemen. Uh, so you go uh, to Florida, uh, there's been some deficiencies along the offensive line there as well. I really feel that Georgia just kind of blends the most consistent, uh, has the most consistent 
see amongst all the positions where some will be a little bit up, some will be a little bit down, but there's really no position where you go from year to year to year. Like, don't go to Georgia to try to find running backs. That's, that, that's not the case. Right. Don't go to Georgia to tr not try to find defensive backs. So one thing, just you know, looking at, looking at those uh, different positional groupings and comparing it simply to Florida, Florida's heavy in defensive backs, athletes, defensive front seven players, and some of the skill groups. But despite having so many more four-star prospects than Georgia, there's actually been five fewer four-star quarterbacks. And, you know, just on top of the raw numbers, you also got to look at the makeup of these states. There's less than 11 million people that live in Georgia. That's half the population of Florida. You got 30 million people in Texas and almost 40 million people in California. And then just the square footage or the square mileage of those states. You know, Georgia's one-fifth the size of Texas. So it's a ton of great prospects all consolidated kind of in a closer area. A lot of these kids are playing against each other pretty frequently. And, uh, you know, that lends, lends to it as well. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Atlanta is kind of the hub. you got yeah. the suburbs around Atlanta like this weekend with Buford and Collins is up on kind of the north side uh, of Atlanta. But even if you go down to, to South Georgia, uh, you know, Valdosta, Lowndes, I mean, those are some power programs that produce great mm -hmm. talent as well. So it's a little bit... Uh, a little bit more rural there in South Georgia as you get towards the border of Florida, but you got great talent there as well. But again, you're looking, and then you look at Florida. Florida is is a, such a key state, known for its speed, but you also look at the Florida numbers you've got to factor in there the last seven to eight years is IMG as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because IMG uh, juices those numbers, and not to say that Florida's not an elite recruiting ground, but it juices those numbers a little bit, and then you got guys from the state of Florida, but also around the country. You got a guy at IMG like a Gabriel Harris, who's from Georgia, now playing his senior year uh, at IMG. So not necessarily the biggest population, but certainly of the four, the least amount of overall population, but overall numbers certainly hanging in there in terms of producing ESPN 300 four-star talent. And with those IMG kids, I think we've seen over the year, even though they are technically categorized as Florida prospects, they are playing high school football in the state of Florida. Uh, they're much more likely to return home to their you know, home region or schools that are in their home region. So while they are, for rankings purposes, grouped with the Florida kids, you know, a lot of times the kids from the Midwest are considering Ohio States and Michigans and Penn States instead of you know, Florida's or Georgia's. Yeah, and, then listen, and just like Florida, everybody goes into Georgia to recruit it. Uh, you know, our, our guest this week is on three, Chad Simmons, uh, kind of national uh, coverage for on three of the recruiting landscape, but uh, a guy from Georgia and a long time Southeast uh, focus. And we're going to talk and dive a little bit deeper into the state of Georgia with him. But, uh, you know, everybody goes in there and recruits and look at Georgia defending national champion. Obviously they've had some real classes there, that 18 class, uh, 21, uh, that freshman class had, had a really good uh, amount of players from the state of Georgia. Uh, 2019, bringing in guys like Trayvon Walker from in-state. Alabama's gone into the state of Georgia. Everybody focuses on and wants to try to get players out of the state of Georgia. Yeah, and something that I think we'll touch on with Chad a little bit, it makes the Georgia Tech job opening, which has you know, just come open, and that's our third yeah. uh, Power, Five, Power Five job that's open already in the early goings of the fall. Makes that Georgia Tech job so attractive. Obviously a ton of players, but, um, you know, Georgia, a program that will recruit their state, but they'll also, especially at this point, being uh, national champs, they'll go wherever to get you know the best players in the country. Right. And they have, of course. Uh, and so maybe 
leaving a little bit of leftover for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And whether they're competing with Georgia and Alabama for players, maybe not. But the Clemsons, the Tennessee, some of the other programs that are routinely seen plucking those ESPN 300 prospects from Georgia, a lot of opportunity there for a Georgia Tech program on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and you, th- you look at a program like Auburn, which is technically in the state of Alabama, but it's a short drive to Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I wrote that. Down. There, yeah, that's two hours there. I mean, yeah. so bas- that's essentially an in-state uh, recruiting grounds for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, this past week I was in Phoenix City, which is just outside Columbus, Georgia, and I flew into Atlanta and just drove the 90 minutes down there. It was <laughs> easier than connecting into, into Columbus. And so obviously, you know, a large concentration of elite programs around the state of Georgia as well. So we're going to get more into this with Chad Simmons coming up here shortly. But I think that Georgia is is, you know, such a vital recruiting ground. So important, as we talked about, the numbers bear that. And kind of what, as I mentioned, the catalyst for having this discussion and having Chad on this week is the fact that uh, going to uh, go down and see the Collins Hill Eagles versus the Buford Bulls. And a lot of good talent in that game as well. I think it, it all starts with, we talked about Alabama going into the state of Georgia and pulling out players, which they've done. One that they were able to do was actually had ties to the Georgia football program yeah, yeah. Uh, was Justice Haynes. Yeah, Haynes is a real exciting guy. He was our third fastest running back uh, tracked in this class at 21.7 miles an hour. Alabama's had so many great backs over the year, the years, and a uh, few Crimson Tide fans, he's probably going to remind you more of current back Chase McClellan or Josh Jacobs, a former first-round pick, than he is a uh, Derrick Henry or Najee Harris, but a real exciting guy uh, that you get an up-close uh, look at this weekend. Yeah, just an outstanding player. They also kind of – there's a lot of players that all, you know, 23, 24, 25, even – uh, the 26th class, uh, Deuce Gerald is a guy I want to talk a little bit more about with Chad Simmons, a freshman defensive lineman who plays for Collins Hill, is already kind of making uh, a lot of noise. And then Buford has a player called Bryce Prairie Wright. Yeah, Bryce Prairie Wright. He, and he is another freshman that has kind of been a mix with Buford. I'm excited to see. Certainly, those are two young names to keep an eye on. You got Edric Houston, the ESPN Junior 300 defensive end. Uh, through Buford, a really exciting player. I want to get into a little bit more about K.J. Bolden, maybe one of the most versatile players in the 2024 class uh, through Buford. So a lot of of talent. That Collins Hill program uh, lost a lot of talent. Obviously, that's where Travis Hunter came out of. They wound up signing um, with Jackson State, but still a really talented team. And So a lot to look at this Friday on ESPN2. Uh, Friday night, Collins Hill traveling to Buford. Uh, Looking forward to that game and Uh, a great reason to spotlight all the talent in the state of Georgia. Over the years, going to a lot of camps uh, and events, you see a lot of familiar faces, and uh, this is certainly one of them. Maybe uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find many who work harder than this gentleman. Uh, He's everywhere. He, for a long time, worked the Southeast region. Now he's turned national. Very unusual to be out in California or Texas and see his face on the sideline, but... uh, He's uh, spreading his wings and taking on the whole nation now, and not only one of the harder workers in the business, but uh, also really a stand-up guy, and we're happy to welcome to the Recruiting Blitz podcast, powered by the UC Report, Chad Simmons. Chad, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Craig, man. Happy to be here. Awesome. Appreciate it. You know, um, as I mentioned, we want to dive a little bit into the state of Georgia, and uh, nobody knows the state better than you, but you are national now. How was kind of that transition over, I think it's been the last two years of kind of isolating on you know one of the hotbeds of recruiting but now kind of taking on the whole nation 
Yeah, it's, it's different. You know, obviously being able to focus on, you know, Georgia and the states around Georgia for the uh, most of my career and then expanding out, like you said, to California Tech. I'm going up to Boston this week to see guys in the Northeast. So it's definitely different. As you know, Craig, it's all about relationships and, you know, being able to connect with the right people in the right parts of the country. And that's been the biggest thing for me, kind of getting my name and maybe rebranding myself, not just in the South, but across the country. So it's fun. It's a challenge. And I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way and working camps throughout the country doing the ESPN high school football showcase. It's actually like really enjoy going to different parts of the country because everybody approaches and embraces high school football a little bit differently. Obviously you and Georgia in the Southeast is in one of the true hotbeds. Myself and Wade are actually, as you mentioned, based in Boston where they don't yeah. even really start camp till like late August. It's a whole different world, but it, it's so interesting and rewarding just to see how everybody just, Everybody loves high school football. Everybody has some type of relation to high school football, but if they all approach it and have a different feel to it, has it, have you found, found it to be kind of a little bit different than what you've been used to in different parts of the country? Oh, it's definitely different. You know, no matter, you know, I've been to Seattle, I've been to the DMV. I've been obviously based in the South my entire career. I've been in LA, I've been in Texas, I've been in Louisiana, I mean, and everywhere in between. And, and it always a little bit different. I mean, you know, obviously in the South, they, they embrace it, you know, in Texas, they love it. They live it. Uh, they invest in it, uh, obviously in Texas with the stadiums and what they do there. Uh, but it's different, you know, going to a place like say Seattle and up in the Pacific North, Northwest, you know, you have your pockets, but it's definitely different, more widespread. And as far as little areas that that maybe embrace it the way I'm used to, where everybody in the South loves high school football, they have those traditions, they have where towns in South Georgia shut down still on Friday nights, you know, so uh, it's definitely different, but at the same time, kind of rewarding to kind of see what what certain people in certain communities, you know, how, how they you know, follow their program, support their program, support their kids. And uh, it's definitely been a very interesting ride the last 18 to 24 months. Where's, last thing before we dip into Georgia, where is it one place off the top of your head that has kind of uh, struck you the most where it was like, this is a lot different, a lot better, a lot more passionate than I kind of thought it would be? Uh, you know, I've been around a lot. I, I would say, you know, may, maybe up in like Michigan. I mean, I've, I've been up there to see like Dante Moore and King. I mean, they won the state championship last year. I mean, the inner city school right there in the city, uh, seeing the passion, the support. They put out so many players over the years, obviously, at that program and other places around there with Cast Tech and right down the road and schools like that. Seeing that really for the first time, maybe in the Midwest, uh, being again Southern based and kind of knowing it's down here in Alabama and Florida and Georgia. But seeing that and kind of just the energy, the passion, the support uh, they have, maybe just thinking, you know, Midwest, you know, obviously, you know, by the history of Ohio State, Michigan, from the college programs, but seeing that passion on the high school level in the inner city of Detroit, I think really stood out to me as well last year. Yeah, going to Detroit about 10 years ago was the first time I had saw a high school with the football field in front of the school. Uh, it's one of the uh, <laughs> interesting journeys, but like you said, see a lot of different things and it's great and how much uh, high school football is embraced around the nation. As I mentioned, reason why we kind of had you on was just to talk a little bit uh, about Georgia. I think when we both started uh, roughly around the same time, you know, there was known as the big three, you know, Florida, California, and Texas. I think, Without nowadays, you can't make that statement without saying the big four and including Georgia. Uh, you know, the, the longer I've been doing this, the more I've, I've 
come to believe and, and stand by. I've always said, if you put the, you know, the proverbial gun to my head and said, you can only recruit one state in the country, it would be Georgia for me. And the reason I've always said that is because I felt like Georgia, there's great talent in Florida, there's speed, Texas, there's an unmatched, you know, love for the game. It starts early, the resources, California's a big state, a lot of great skilled players out there. But I just feel like Atlanta, with the population growth and the mere fact that there's really no weak position within that state. No, I agree with you, Craig. I think I've had multiple college coaches over the years, you know, even going back 10, 12 years ago, say, hey, look, if we have 24 commitments on signing day, we're going to sign 25 in the class and I've got to sign one player. I'm going to bet on that kid from Georgia being prepared from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint, academic standpoint, toughness standpoint. Uh, you see, you may have a kid before that maybe runs a 4-4 compared to the kid in Georgia, 4-5-2, but I'm going to bet on his development and being ready to compete at that highest level in my class. And, and like you said, the position, the balance uh, from whether it be skill guys, quarterbacks, to D linemen, to safeties, even a few kickers out of this state has been pretty good playing in the NFL as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think from top to bottom, uh, and even if you go back to saying like the big three or top three, uh, I think a lot of people would tell you it's now Florida, Texas, and Georgia, yep. not yeah. Florida, Texas, and California. Uh, if you want to go three, obviously four, you have tech, California in there as well. But, but Georgia definitely has cemented itself as to be one of the most productive states uh, talking major college football and the mm -hmm. NFL draft as well uh, in the country. Yeah, no way. You had dug down at some numbers that kind of support that. Yeah, we were uh, looking at it. And um, the state of Georgia, even though it only has half the population of Florida, has put out more four-star quarterbacks, just about the same amount of uh, four-star offensive linemen. And I mean, it's only one-fifth the size of Texas, too. So you're not just talking about the quality of player, but the consolidation of players who are, you know, in a drivable range, but also playing against each other every weekend. Yeah, I think that's been the, maybe the biggest thing about Florida is always skill guys in Florida. But when you talk about the depth and the balance from top to bottom, position by position, he, he, quarterbacks is hard to find. I mean, it's been O-linemen been hard to find, especially tackles and I mean, outside maybe Larry Tunzel and guys like that. But the depth there hasn't been the same as skill work. You mentioned Georgia from top to bottom, man. It's just a balanced state from O-line, D-line, skill guys, position guys. Um, and they're getting better and better. You know, I think, you know, throughout the years and producing 200 plus, you know, on the average power five guys each cycle now. So uh, I think it goes back to the players, the coaches, the communities, you know, everybody investing and buying in uh, to work to be the best they can be. So we know that the state's loaded and has been loaded for some time. It kind of seemed like to me that one of the narratives around the state of Georgia that we heard when Mark Richt was the head coach there was that it was tough to defend the home turf because there are so many cities, whether it's Clemson, Tuscaloosa, Knoxville, Auburn, Tallahassee, that are all just a short drive, where Florida, Texas, and California kind of have some more natural geographic barriers. What has Kirby Smart been able to do to kind of change that narrative? I don't hear the narrative anymore that it's hard to keep the best players in Georgia at home. Yeah, I don't know if Kirby's really changed the narrative as is he's won championships. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, and also Kirby also has, depending on who you talk to in this state, some love the way he recruits the state and some are mad that he recruits more nationally as well. So, I mean, he's okay. doing a good job, you know, keeping, you know, elite guys he feels can help that program win uh, at home. Now, you, you asked him about this cycle 
maybe not so good with Justice Haynes, a legacy kid going to Alabama. Yep. Caleb Downs, we have number one player in the state going to Alabama. Uh, but Kirby's going to get his share uh, from the state. Uh, and again, I think with Kirby, what he's doing, uh, what he's building and what he's already built at Georgia, consistently competing uh, in that top two or three programs in the country, SEC championships on the regular, now playing for two and winning one national championship, now beating Nick Saban, beating Alabama. You're only going to see him, I think, overall, year to year, keep the best kids at home that he feels can help the program. And that's where I think there's been some pushback in. Uh, he will. He's not scared to go to California and get Brock Bowers to tight end. He's not scared to go up north and pull kids down that he feels can help the program win at a national level. Just because they're a top 15 player in Georgia doesn't mean they're an elite player uh, on Kirby's board. You know, obviously they're a great player, but he's going to pick the players that he feels across the country that can help them win championships. So again, I think the majority of this state, uh, you know, is fond of Kirby and loves what he's doing. But at the same time, he does skip over some guys to recruit guys that he feels nationally can help Georgia be that top program. There was, to, you know, to that, you're right, there is kind of the feeling that like he's got it secure, but that 20 class, he only signed two of the top players in the state of Georgia. In 19, he only signed two of the top 10 players. Now we're talking uh, our ESPN rankings, but usually not uh, – a huge discrepancy uh, and obviously two of those top 10 in 2019 one included Trayvon Walker so I mean to your point you know he was very selective and hit big with those those few guys but he's kind of done it both ways because that 18 class with Justin Fields it was seven of the top 10 and two of the other players were Trevor Lawrence and Emory Jones who obviously you're not going to take those other two quarterbacks so he's to your point Chad he's kind of navigated it where he's when he's needed to flex his muscles in state and go big he has and but he hasn't been afraid and and maybe you could argue too in that 20 class, he maybe ruffled some feathers, but ultimately still got it, ultimately still got it done. And then six years in a row uh, in the ESPN rankings, he's finished with the top three class. So uh, certainly put down, um, do an outstanding job. I think the other one, the most interesting one now, and now making news, some headlines, uh, obviously for not the reason that fans would hope, the Georgia Tech. I mean, what yeah. are your feelings about that Georgia Tech job opening? I mean, it's a tough job. I mean, it's, it's a tough job. Obviously, you're right there in the city, but, um, you know, from the academic standard, getting kids in, uh, it's not the same as Georgia, not the same as Alabama. Um, it's different. Obviously, it's been shown that you can win there. You can compete there. You can get players there, uh, but it's not easy. I think this hire, I mean, every hire is critical, but they, they've got to get the right guy that can recruit the right type of players and build the right type of culture. I mean, uh, I like Jeff Collins as a guy. He's a big rah-rah guy, a lot of, a lot of energy. Um, you know, he definitely, I think, had fun and, and created like a good atmosphere from a kid and parent standpoint. Uh, but they got to get a guy in there that can recruit the players, build the program and compete. Uh, what limitations you have as being a, an academic institution. You know, it's not, it's not easy, even though you're in the city and you have great resources to recruit in your backyard. Um, it, it's a difficult job and they got to find a guy that's willing to come in and give it it's his all. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tough job. I don't, I don't want to say, you know, it's difficult and maybe a, a job some would skip over, um, but they got to find the right guy for the job. Well, of the three that are open now, you know, I think we, we talked last week, Chad, you know, myself and Wade about Nebraska, how difficult that is just because you're, you're landlocked from talent being in Nebraska. Obviously, Arizona State could be a gold mine, but, you know, there's also NCAA 
you know, uh, sanctions pot uh, potentially there. So that kind of puts a little bit of a cloud over maybe having to go through a rough patch there. So of the three jobs that are open, you may argue that Georgia Tech is probably uh, the most appealing, even with some of those hurdles are there. And then plus, uh, Jeff Collins was able to make the transition away from Paul Johnson, which was a really run heavy offense, very different from what players are used to playing. And so at least that transition has been made and whoever does take it over, maybe takes over a program that's a little bit uh, more uh, in a position to kind of catch up a little bit. But you're right, there are hurdles, but there are, it's an intriguing job because unlike Nebraska, you are just in a pocket of talent. There's a lot of players yeah. there. And even if you, even if you go past some of the four stars and highly ranked four stars and just go into the high three stars, you still got a lot of talent to pull in that state. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, and you're literally right there in your backyard within the Atlanta area. You got schools everywhere producing major athletes. And like you said, I agree with that. As far as the next coach coming in, we'll have a much, I think, friendlier roster to work with to compete quicker in the ACC than what Jeff had coming in after Paul. When you had guys looking like me playing offensive line, you know, in that triple option under Paul Johnson, I mean, that, that didn't work for Jeff and, and Brent Key and, and those guys now working at Tech. So I do think the next guy coming in will be handed a, a, a much better, you know, maybe not a, a Rolls Royce, but a, a much better car yeah. to work with, a used car than what he had with Jeff Collins coming in. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think, you know, one of the things I find interesting and, you know, I think a lot of people out there love college football. They follow recruiting and we're so grateful. And I think one of the things I want to hear from you is someone who's constantly boots on the ground, talk to a lot of kids. I mean, uh, you know, how, how difficult it is, how important it is to kind of build relationships and how do you kind of go about kind of doing that is, you know, times change from 15, 20 years ago when you started to, but even from year to year, kids change, situations change. I mean, it's a really difficult thing, but how do you, how do you go about fostering those relationships? For me, you know, I, I've stayed true to kind of who I am from day one, just be as genuine, as transparent as possible. No, no reason to try to hide behind something or be someone that you're not, regardless of what you do in life. For, so for me, you know, I'm just going to be me, go in and try to meet the young man, meet the coach I'm working with as high school or uh, maybe who his trainer is or who his family is. And, you know, obviously most of my career has been built around, you know, not just covering recruiting, but also being a part of the rankings team. And, and you know, it's hard to wear both of those hats. You know, when you got, because you know very well too, Craig, that, I mean, kids care about that ranking. Um, you know, they, they want to be that five-star. They want to be that number one guy at their position. They want to be in that top 100 or whatever it may be. And so trying to fight that battle, but at the same time, build that relationship, cover their recruitment uh, has not always been easy. But one thing for me has always been just be real. I mean, talk to them. If they have a question, answer it the best that you can and just go from that. If they, if they want to be covered, I want to cover them. But, you know, some guys, you know, may not want to be, you know, covered that way. They have a lot on their plate. They're still young men. They still have a lot going on. Uh, but I think just the simplest answer for me as far as it goes to covering kids and the changing of times from whether it be social media, now NIL, you know, different things that have changed the landscape of recruiting and covering it. It's just be me, real, be as genuine, be as transparent as possible and do the best I can to kind of connect on some level with those guys. Yeah, well, covering recruiting sounds like your stance. It is my stance as well. Covering recruiting is a lot like recruiting. You know, when I used to coach <laughs> yeah. and recruit, like kids can sense when you're not being genuine. 
And there's no better way to make things more difficult on yourself than try to be somebody you're not or to try to mislead them because it only takes, and we've seen it, won't mention any names, but people have burned bridges along the way. And then ultimately they don't last very long uh, in the industry. And to your point, you also got to remember you're dealing with 17, 16 year old kids sometimes, you know, and you're the adult in the equation and, and you kind of got to be there to kind of, you know, help them out as well, you know? So it's, it's an interesting thing, but I think that's the most important thing is to be genuine. So Chad, here's a question that I was interested in asking you when I found out we were going to have you on the show. I mean, obviously you've been at this a real long time. You're as dialed in, you know, as anyone with the kids and over the last 15 plus years, what's a trait, whether it be a play style trait on film, a physical trait or a measurable, or even an off the field or a character trait that college coaches are more interested in now than they were 15 years ago. You know, I think obviously work ethics, obviously one who's coachable. I think that's why a lot of colleges want to see kids on their campus in their camp environment. See how a kid responds to defeat. You know, every you know, life. I got two boys of my own. I'm like, look, man, I'm I'm all about you getting an award or a trophy for this, but you know, I'm not about second place, third place. Just work hard. Give it your effort. How do you respond when you don't get an A on that test, but you studied really hard, you thought you prepared for it, but you make a C? You know, what What do you, how do you bounce back from that? Do you go sulk in the back of the line? It's like, you know, if you have a DB and a drill with Craig at, at the UC Report, you know, camps or whatnot or Under Armour events, I mean, you know, if a kid, that's the biggest part for me as an analyst watching Craig's events and Under Armour stuff is, when they get beat, make a bad pass, drop a ball, get whipped on the offensive line, do they go back to the back of the line and sulk for 30 minutes? Do they bounce back up and want to compete again? Do they open their ears and mind to coaching? You know, how do they respond? So to me, it's the little things like that. All these guys are great players. They're all natural athletes. A lot of guys have those traits of size and measurements and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's the little things. I mean, the, the competitiveness, the willing to learn, the willing to compete, uh, how you bounce back from defeat. To me, it's that. And then one thing I've always looked at too, uh, just for, for me, uh, when evaluating players, is the academic side, man. How, how much do they care about that? Do they care about striving to be that 3-5, 3A, 4-0 student? Because to me, what I've seen over my 15 plus years is if they do well off the field, they're probably going to do very well on the field. If they have that drive to go home and do that homework, study for that test, listen in class, and really separate that from sports and really drive into both 100%, to me, they transition very well and work well, very well together. So I've always looked at that as well. Not saying that kids can't, they can, but if they do the best they can and, and, and they're up there doing great test-wise, GPA-wise, to me, that carries over also. That's, that's two things to me I see as intangibles that separate, you know, great sometimes from very good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you've been to enough camps. You've heard me give that speech at the end. It's, you know, compete. You know, a lot of times I'm, I'm less worried about if a guy maybe his time is a little bit slower than what we thought it, it's I'm more impressed by the guys who show up and willing to compete willing to test not ducking anything because the other stuff could be worked with you know who has the competitive intangibles and and that's what's really ultimately kind of the building block of which everything else is built upon uh, you know circling back just a little bit to what you had other said I think it's important and I find it interesting as someone in yourself who still kind of hits the road still goes to high schools uh, you know, how important is it for you to keep the head coach engaged? Because I'm sure you hear it as well as I do. A lot of head coaches are frustrated with the rise of social media and talking about high school head coaches that they often get bypassed in the process. So how important is it and kind of uh, how helpful, if at all, have you found it kind of keeping the head coaches in the loop? 
for me, it's my number one. I mean, the, the kid I'm going to see is their kid. It's not, it's not the collective group's kid. It's not the trainer's group. It's not the seven on seven. And, and all respect to all those people. But at the end of the day, I'm going in to cover Travis Hunter at Collins Hill, who's Lenny, Lenny Gregory's player. So I'm going through Lenny. When I go to see him, hey, when can I some can I come see him? When can I talk to him for 15 minutes? You know, what's the best time for you? You know, and that to me is very important just from a, if nothing else, a respect standpoint. I mean, these guys, the head coaches pour their heart and souls into these kids, these programs, practices, nutrition, academic support, all of that. And a lot of these kids, as you know, uh, Craig, is that they don't come from the best sometimes home lights. They have to even do more. That's never even talked about, never even seen or reported on to be there for these student athletes. So for me, that is my number one. I, if I'm going to see a kid play or go to his school during the day or set up my travel schedule for two weeks in Arizona or California, I'm going directly through the head coach, not the kid, not the parent. Um, because again, he's allowed me to come into his program and do my job to cover his kids. So to me, that's the number one most important thing for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I know they appreciate it too and probably speaks to your longevity in the profession as well. Uh, just, I know you're going to hit the road, not surprising, get out and see a game tonight. So I won't keep it too much longer. You kind of segue us into mentioning Lennon Gregory and Collins Hill heading down to Atlanta this weekend. A lot of great players uh, in that game. Buford, three state titles in a row, now moving up to 7A, this is the first meeting with Collins Hill. Um, you know, I think I wanted to kind of get your opinion on some 24s and 25s. I guess, uh, you know, who kind of jumps out to you amongst those groups? I think KJ Bolton probably be KJ Bolden probably being one of those. Yeah, Bolden's uh, just the next guy in line at Buford, man, to be great, you know, be a top kid. I mean, he's um, – you talk about a versatile athlete, a kid that can really do it all. I mean, I think probably long-term I see him more of a, of a big safety in college, but he can definitely return kicks. He can play wide receiver. He can do different things from the Wildcat package at quarterback. I mean, really whatever you need him to do on the field, he can do, I feel like, at a five-star level. I mean, just the intangibles there from the size, the length, the athleticism, the ball skills. And I think the awareness, too. I mean, I've seen him since middle school. Just he's very smart on the field. I think very composed on the field and, uh, you know, very impressive, you know, young man, obviously you can see why, you know, the Alabamas and Georgias and Ohio States and Clemson's and so many others are targeting him in that 2024 class. So Bolden for sure. I think you'll enjoy, you know, seeing him again this weekend. Yeah. It reminds me a lot, the more I watch him of Dax Hill at uh, Oklahoma, obviously Michigan now in the NFL with that versatility uh, and that length. I think the other interesting player this week uh, that I'm really excited to see and, being a Georgia guy, I'm sure you remember Robert Kudichi, who played for Lenny Gregory when he was at Grayson, is uh, Deuce, Deuce Gerald. Uh, there's a lot of buzz on, on this ninth grader already uh, starting for them. Have you had a chance to kind of see Deuce? Yeah, I've seen him a couple of times. I saw Colin Steele play their scrimmage game against North Cobb, you know, late in uh, mid-August, something like that. And that was my first time, I guess, seeing him in pads. I've seen him work out before and, and shorts and shirt and all that. But, yeah, I mean, obviously an intriguing kid. I mean, 6'2 plus, around, what, 240, I think, right now. I mean, a guy that can set the edge. Is he going to be, you know, that guy that, that slides inside to a three technique down the road? I mean, I think that's probably the likely projection depending on just kind of how he grows and fills out. But, you know, obviously Lenny, um, you know, good friend of yours, mine. I mean, guy, I really respect, you know, and he's, you know, you know, too, I mean, 
There's some guys that call you and say, hey, Chad, I've got a guy for you um, that, you know, you listen to, but maybe yeah. not yeah. <laughs> as you do others, you know. Uh, but when Lenny does call or text me and say, Chad, I've got a kid for you, he has my full attention. And obviously he said that would do certainly on. Um, like you said, he coached Robert Kim Dietschy at Grace, and he knew early on he had him. And I think Deuce is very intriguing to watch for you this weekend and the coming years as well. Yeah, to that point, I remember going to Grayson quite a bit to see Robert Kandichi and talking to Lenny Gregory and really kind of my first interactions with Lenny. And every time I go see Robert, he'd be like, our running back, Wayne Gallman, is really good. I'm like, I'm sure he is. That's great. Uh, <laughs> looking yeah. back, should have probably listened a little bit harder and put yeah. him a little bit higher up, in, uh, higher up in the rankings. But yeah, excited to see him. And we'll talk about this more on the broadcast Friday night. I'll share with you, Lenny Gregory had told us that he feels that Deuce is further along in Robert at their same point uh, where they were. So which certainly speaks higher as Robert was uh, a number one player. Well, oh, wait, you got anything else before that, Chad? Yeah, one thing, I, Chad, I couldn't let you go without asking one of these questions. Of course, we've got a couple different major recruiting ranking services, and we have fans that sometimes are very tied to whether it's on three, two, four, seven rivals, ESPN, maybe even some local rankings, whatever, you know, what have you. But Dylan Lonergan is a guy who there's a little bit of a differing opinion on between our ESPN rankings and your on three rankings. I think he's number 22 in the country on ESPN and maybe 122 or 123 uh, with you guys on three. So I just kind of wanted to ask you your opinion on him. And then Craig, get a little bit of a back and forth about a player who obviously both sites really, really like, but clearly ESPN is a little bit higher on at this stage than uh, you guys over at on three. Yeah, don't make 100 spots sound like it's too big. I have to, I have to battle kids every day about 122. Still great in the country now. No, oh, yeah. Messing with <laughs> you, but, uh, obviously, there's a gap there, obviously. But obviously, we're, as, as a group at On3, extremely high on Dylan. I've watched him play numerous times at Buford. I've seen him baseball as well. I mean, obviously, we know he's a big-time pitcher going to play with the Planet Alabama to play both sports. That's probably been one of the biggest questions I've had about him is, is where's his heart? You know, is it baseball? Or is it football? Can a quarterback do both at a high level on the next level? Does he have to pick one eventually, um, baseball or football? But I think not only, not only can a quarterback do baseball, but can a quarterback do baseball and pitch, which is very rare because then it begins to start to change throwing motions. And he had told 100%. us that it was, e it was easier for him to transition from football uh, from baseball to football, then from football to baseball. But obviously, Sam Horn comes to mind. We were just talking about Collins yeah. Hill. He's trying to do it at Missouri. But, I mean, to, you know, to your guys' point, that is certainly something that gets you thinking is like, all right, he wants to do two things. He's going into a class that has another uh, five-star or highly ranked caliber quarterback uh, in it as well. So it's, yeah. there's going to be need in that quarterback room, but he's going in that class to try to do both is really difficult. And, you know, and one of the things, too, this year, I think we'll learn a lot about him is having a chance to see him a few weeks ago, Chad, when they played Bishop Gorman was, you know, he's going to he's he's going to work hard this year because that old line is, is still yeah. kind of growing. It's still kind of young. And I guess the one thing I took away that I I did like was his toughness. They got absolutely just, you know, beat up by a Bishop Gorman team that has a ton of FBS prospects. And he never kept he never stopped fighting never stopped trying to make plays. It was just difficult when every time he got the football, he was trying to do it. But I, I can certainly see from your guys' perspective, it's something we think about as well. Just the two sports is multiple sports in high school is awesome. The more sports a kid plays in high school, I think the better. 
when they transition to college, unless you're going to be like a Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson or something, you're going to be elite at both. I think it could be very difficult. And then when you talk about the quarterback position and pitching, it, it adds another layer, layer, I guess I'll use, of intrigue as things could yeah. impact it. I mean, I mean, obviously the arm slot, the habits, the motion, uh, motion memory, I mean, throwing a baseball from a football. Uh, and again, I agree 100% toughness-wise. I mean, Dylan's one of the most, I think, mature young men in this class. I mean, from a mentality standpoint, uh, you know, composure in the pocket as a quarterback, laying on the line for his teammate, natural, I think, leadership skills. Obviously, the arm, I think, speaks for itself. His arm strength uh, has shown good touch. Um, you know, he's won some big games in his high school career. There's a lot to like about Dylan. I think he'll go into Alabama, you know, as a quarterback, about as ready as you can to compete uh, in that quarterback room in Tuscaloosa. So a lot to like there, I think, from a quarterback, you know, skill set standpoint. But at the same time, you have that in just that 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 unknown factor. You know, if he does get drafted here, does he skip college and all? How does he balance baseball to football? Does he love one more than the other and give up one? I mean, I think there's a lot of questions there. But again, you know, a top 150 guy in the country for us, obviously an elite talent. Um, it'll be fun to kind of watch how it plays out for him in Tuscaloosa if he gets there, if, depending yeah. on where yeah. he gets drafted and so on, you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. yeah, I'm not a baseball fan, but if I got drafted, I would certainly make me think about it. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of factors there. Well, uh, I said, I know the open road is calling. Won't keep you any longer, but really appreciate it. Follow Chad on social media. Is it just at Chad Simmons? Yeah, Chad Simmons, Chad Simmons underscore. Yep. Chad Simmons underscore. And then obviously follow all of his work on On3. As I said, one of the hardest working guys uh, in the profession. Always enjoy when I get a chance to see him out in the camp circuit or a high school game. So uh, safe travels. And I'm sure I'll see you soon. Really appreciate the time. Hey, sounds good, man. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chad. As we creep a little bit closer toward the early signing period, the activity on the recruiting trail is not about quantity this time of year, usually about quality. Prospects who have been coveted by a bunch of programs across the country, narrowing their list down, taking visits, and in the fall, making some decisions. Um, a huge one this past week, Florida State making noise, getting the commitment from Hakeem Williams, number 22 in the ESPN 300, Clemson, Miami, South Carolina, Texas A&M, just some of the other schools that were after the six foot three, 200 pound receiver, who was the second fastest player of all the 2023 players uh, that we tracked using the max speed, running in that elite range of over 22 miles an hour. And Craig, I think it was episode one, uh, we were talking about programs to maybe fall out of the top 25. And you kind of had an asterisk with yours. You said Florida State, but it was a bit of a check with me. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the Seminoles now? I mean, they're undefeated, Florida and Miami having some tough times on the field the last couple of weeks. Are you ready to say that that Florida State class is one that shoots up and stays in the rankings? Well, if you bought Florida State stock after that episode one right now, you're doing really good. You're yep. pricing the yep. price of Lambos because they just, they're moving up. <laughs> they're off to their best start since 2015 when they started off 6-0, and now they're 4-0. And you could certainly say, hey, you know what? Uh, they're running the momentum, their success on the field, because Williams was certainly a big get in his length and his speed. I was at this past Friday night, I was at Phoenix City when they, uh, with Central hosted IMG, and one of uh, 
One of IMG's defensive backs is committed to Florida State, and I saw him before the game. I said, it's pretty big news today, huh? And he goes, yeah. I go, did you think you guys were going to get him? He goes, to be honest with you, no. <laughs> so uh, that was certainly big. So, yeah, I mean, everything, we, as you mentioned, we talked about Florida State as one of those teams. I think at that point they were at 25. Yeah, right at like 25. They could either go one way or the other. Still a lot of football to be played, but this is the type of start that Florida State fans have been hoping for. Uh, rolling a little bit of momentum, and now they're moving into the top 20 of the class rankings as the Williams pickup at wide receiver, along with a, uh, a four-star athlete as well, kind of helped them uh, move up, and they're trending in the right direction. And, you know, Florida State, historically a program that, you know, we associate with first-round picks, with five-star recruits, but we looked back, we were talking about this in the office, he's their top commit since the 2018 class and corner Asante Samuel Jr. now with the, uh, with the Los Angeles Chargers. So it's been a while since the Seminoles have reeled in a prospect of this caliber. Yeah, so I mean, again, you know, the old expression, winning cures all ills, you know. So <laughs> having to do that and, uh, you know, so and the player I was talking about before uh, was Jordan Pride. Uh, the name escaped me for a second, but uh, certainly he was pumped about that news, as I'm sure all Seminoles fans were. And a big, it's a big piece of that class and helps him move up in the class rankings. Another key commit this week, uh, Georgia reeled in ESPN 300 wide receiver Tyler Williams, number 60 in our rankings. Again, Clemson, Miami, Texas A&M, South Carolina, some of the ones involved there. Six foot four kid who's running 21 miles an hour and uh, just the latest piece in this great Bulldogs class. Yeah, going into the state of Florida, <laughs> yeah. which we just discussed Georgia, how they do it a little bit of every way. And how great the state of Georgia is, and in here there was a pickup at <laughs> the state of Florida. Thank you. Yeah, uh, but listen, and get, we've talked about the reach that they have, and that was a really big pickup. And then uh, they went into South Carolina. Monroe Freeling was another pickup. So mm -hmm. Georgia, 17 was their first full class under Kirby Smart, and from 17 through 22, they have signed it. Their classes always finish amongst the top three. It's amazing. And now yep. they're sitting at number three after moving up. I'd always kind of talked about that the top seven, eight schools were not uh, separated by much in terms of points in the class ranking. So it didn't take much. They had two ESPN 300 prospects able to jump up to the top three. And I'm once again looking to uh, potentially extend that impressive streak of top three overall classes. And uh, just today, another SEC program with a huge get, uh, ESPN 300 defensive tackle, Under Armour All-American, David Hicks, number 17 in the rankings, Alabama, Miami, Michigan State, Oregon, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. We're in the mix for this defensive lineman. And he's interesting to me because, Craig, I'm looking back, and we have him as a defensive end in the underclass report. We have him as a defensive tackle in the ESPN 300. I mean, his testing numbers with the five flat laser to laser at his size, 6'4", 270, the 434 shuttle, um, it doesn't seem like you got confused. It seems like he can probably do both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's versatility. You turn on his film, you see it. He's playing on the edge, he's playing inside. Uh, you know, there are, some, there are some who've gone to much broader classifications where they'll say, Either you're an O tackle or you're an interior offensive line. You're yeah. either a D lineman or you're an edge guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and if you were gonna go by those classifications, which I, which I know some some other sites use, and then he would fit in the D line. But you want to put him at D end? I'm not gonna argue with you. You want to put him at DT? Not gonna argue with you as well. And again, the film shows it. He moves around. He's explosive. Uh, he's got 
good size, the frame to add more, but he moves, as you mentioned, by his testing results. He moves really well, and he kind of aids that with really good effort in the way that he plays. And then you put that on top of what they just brought in. <laughs> I mean, LT Overton, uh, you know, he's already on the field starting to, starting, to, uh, starting to contribute. So you put him into the mix with that D-line group that they just brought. That is huge. And you mentioned all the schools that, that were in. That really, I think what's impressive, too, is about Texas A&M is I think a lot of people felt that Oklahoma might be the team to beat. Mm-hmm. And they really kind of had a lot of the momentum heading into the fall. And so that's a huge win for Texas A&M, whose class is small. I think, just, I think he's the 11th or 12th overall commit for them. Uh, but they're already now sitting inside the top 20 with some room for that class to still grow. They got some ground to make up in order to try to match that number one class they had a year ago, but uh, certainly surging up the rankings and they're now inside the top 20. Yeah, and this is one of those commits that, you know, toward the end of the last cycle, we just kept getting used to them, flexing their muscle, reeling in highly covered prospects. Uh, this commitment uh, from Hicks is kind of the first time we've seen that through this cycle. Uh, and then one more that I wanted to hit on was... Michigan State picked up their second ESPN Junior 300 prospect for the 2024 class. A really intriguing prospect out of the state of Florida, Jamari Howard. He's long, he plays physical, he's got ball skills, he plays offense, defense, and special teams. Definitely a bit of a projection on him, but a nice early get for the Spartans. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're doing a really good job. Um, I just this past weekend, I saw watching him play against IMG. They got IMGs. Uh, linebackers, uh, somebody help me out. I'm drawing a, a, a blank. Hall, oh, Jalen or Jordan, Jordan Hall. Jordan, Jordan Hall. Hall. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but listen, he was outstanding. He's IMG's first three year captain yeah. in the history of that football mm-hmm. program. Uh, so they're certainly doing a really nice job on a recruiting trail, uh, sitting just inside the top 25 for 2023. And as you mentioned, also with a really nice kind of uh, building block for 2024. Yeah, so that's it for the notable ones on the trail. Uh, I do want to just... Oh, sure. You know, sometimes when you don't move, you get overlooked. But, you know, I talked about how tight the race is within those first eight or nine teams in a recruiting ring. Alabama, which is working on potentially its eighth number one overall class, remains at number one. And we're actually able to put a little bit of distance between them and the next one with picking up uh, Jalen Hale. Uh, the ESPN oh, yes, yes. 300 wide receiver, uh, and then also picking up uh, uh, the D lineman, Renat, who we had talked about last week. This is the first update of the class rankings in a few weeks, so those come into, to, into effect now in terms of the updated class rankings. But Alabama, you know, they had to kind of work their way up to number one. They've done that, and now that they're there, they're once again showing that they're going to be very difficult to unseat. Yeah, so that wraps it up for the notable uh, commitments on the trail, high school players that we'll be seeing in the future on the field in college football. Uh, as we have a couple times in the past with Pod, I uh, want to hit on a couple freshmen who are making big impacts, and specifically uh, two positional groupings. First off, the wide receivers at Kentucky. Two of their top three receivers are true freshmen Dane Key and Barion Brown. Both were ESPN 300 prospects signed in this past class. Um, Barion Brown is the highest receiver prospect that Kentucky has signed in the ESPN 300 era, and Key's the fourth highest. Um, both those guys have, you know, Dane Key has 241 yards, three touchdowns. Barry and Brown, 200 yards and two touchdowns. He's a 10 4, 900 meter guy, so still plenty of upside uh, development left with him. And then the other group that I wanted to touch on were, were the Penn State running backs Nicholas Singleton and Katrin Allen. Uh, Singleton, 57 in the ESPN 300. Allen was 142. You know, <laughs> 
Singleton's averaging nine yards a pop right now with four touchdowns. Allen had a multi-touchdown game uh, the other day. He has three total. Uh, Singleton is the second highest rated running back with all the great running backs that Penn State has brought in. The second highest rated one they've signed in the 300 era. And Allen was the sixth highest. You know, and this kind of got me thinking about the class rankings. Of course, we have numbers and a point system that, you know, we utilize and as a basis for our class rankings. But when you look at these two programs, positions of need, system fits, and getting maybe more, uh, you know, early productivity than you would just get from your generic, uh, not perfectly placed 300 signee. Yeah, listen, I talked about it on, on signing day with, uh, with Kentucky and doing a great job of addressing a need, getting impact, and doing it within their base as well. I mean, Dane Key is a Kentucky kid. Yeah. He's yeah. in-state. Barry and Brown is from Tennessee, not very far away. Mm-hmm. So they, they did a really good job of, uh, of targeting prospects within their kind of their immediate footprint and getting them in there and doing a nice job of bringing in several players and getting a couple of those guys, as you mentioned, in Brown and Key, who are, are contributing early. And then Penn State, uh, yeah, Singleton's an in-state guy as well. Great production early on. Then when, when you go to IMG, it doesn't always work this way. When you go to IMG, you're going with the idea of this guy should be able to contribute early. Yeah. And players who go to IMG are usually going to IMG to graduate early and be as ready as they can to go to college. You get uh, Katron Allen at IMG, a big back, physical, good vision. Uh, we just uh, had his his coach, his position coach on with us last week, and Mike Sellers, that was IMG running back coach, who had a long NFL career, brings a lot of experience, does a great job of working with those players. So you get a player who you should not at all be surprised, and if you really remember, he's now at LSU. Noah Kane yeah. came yeah. out of yeah. IMG. Mm-hmm made a splash at Penn State has since moved on and they've seemed to have rebounded quite well plugging in those two freshmen. And of course, you know, Singleton's a guy who wherever he ended up was probably going to get a lot of early playing time. He's just that type of prospect. But with Key, Brown, and even Allen, these are guys who I think did a great job of finding schools where they did have the opportunity. You talk about, you know, what's a player going to look like over the course of his career. Of course, talent, you know, preparedness, work ethic, all these things come into play. But the school that you select the opportunity that you have to play. I mean, if these receivers were at the current wide receiver U, Ohio State, maybe they're not on the field as true freshmen, but finding a great home with the Kentucky Wildcats and they're able to showcase their talents as true freshmen. Yeah, and listen, nice job by those programs, and it's, we're seeing it more and more, and that's why we talk about true freshmen on this podcast is because the players that we're talking about today, some of the players that we mentioned a little bit earlier on, um, you know, like a Justice Haynes, these could be the guys that in 12 months could be making an impact for your team. And you want examples, we just gave you examples with what Kentucky is doing, what Penn State is doing, and some of the true freshmen out there that are, are, are stepping on campuses and immediately making their presence known. And we're looking at the next wave of those players in the 23 and 24 class. Mm-hmm. And as we get deeper into the season, injuries start to pile up, depth starts to get tested. I'm sure we'll have plenty more true freshmen to talk about uh, as opportunities open up across the country. Yeah, especially with them now having the opportunity to play in four games and not not burn a red shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, as some seasons unfold, it may be need some of those guys getting on the field. It may be seasons getting away from some teams, and let's see, let's see what these guys have over the course of a couple of games. But yeah, certainly, uh, I think we're only going to see those numbers of true freshmen starting to contribute to only only grow uh, further from there. You got any more impact freshmen? 
No, you know what? Those are the two groups that I wanted to hit on. I think, we, uh, I think we're all set with those guys. All right. Great job there, Wade. <laughs> uh, so listen, uh, appreciate you. First of all, I want to thank Chad Simmons from On3 of joining us. Uh, great discussion on, on the state of Georgia, uh, brought, uh, which again, the catalyst for that was the Collins Hill-Buford game uh, this Friday on ESPN2. Uh, as, we, uh, as we kind of Tape this on Wednesday, heading in, ending into Friday. I uh, also want to give our kind of, as I mentioned that, uh, we're expecting a wet, windy game Friday night uh, as a result. So uh, obviously we just talked about the importance of Florida and the recruiting trail, all the thoughts and, and prayers uh, with everybody in the state of Florida. Stay safe uh, as, as uh, the hurricane kind of makes uh, landfall and hopefully uh, Hopefully it's not as bad as it's, uh, they seem to think it is or as it looks, but certainly be safe and, uh, and uh, our thoughts are with you. Uh, probably more to discuss as the, as the uh, fall continues to unfold on the field, on the recruiting trail. But once again, thanks for joining us on the Recruiting Blitz podcast, powered by the UC Report for uh, Danny Priest, our producer for Wade Rossi. I am Craig Hoggart. We will uh, talk to you next week.